The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food health and agriculture and find food truth. And today I'm delighted to welcome a former Food and Society Policy Fellow, Ann Mosniff. She was captain of commercial fishing boats from Copper River to Bristol Bay, Alaska. She is a Food and Society Policy Fellow, organizer of educational events as the Go Wild Campaign, advocate for wild fisheries, healthy coastal economies, and ecosystems. Anne, welcome. Hello, Melinda. I have so admired your work, Anne. You're a fisherwoman. You know the seas. You've been on the seas for decades. You know fish. You know the impact of truly sustainable fishing on the livelihood of fisher families. Now we're going to talk about a topic that's been in the news. It has to do with the genetic engineering of fish and the subsequent loss of wild fisheries. So First, let me ask you, why on earth would we need to be genetically engineering fish? I can't think of a single reason why we need to do that. And I think it's really an economic move. It comes a couple decades after other federal agencies, such as the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, which is part of the Department of Commerce. They've been promoting and funding Fish farms in our coastal waters, both Washington State and Maine, have salmon farms, but the push is on to expand industrial aquaculture in our federally managed waters, which is three to 200 miles offshore. And so nature provides a huge subsidy to these operations because the fish waste is just flushed out of the open mesh cages. So then you can grow fish cheaper, you can flood the marketplace with these fish, but basically what we're seeing is the replication of the worst practices of factory farming on land in the marine environment. And in this industrial aquaculture model is expanding. NOAA just announced even more grants available to the fish farm industry, and we haven't agreed upon this. Congress has not authorized NOAA to proceed with plans to open up our coastal waters to marine feedlots. But another agency, the Food and Drug Administration, has just announced after a decade and a half that we thought this was not going to go forward, they just announced that they will likely approve genetically engineered salmon. And there's great concern about this. The major environmental and food safety organizations have been researching and submitting comments and taking a look at how inadequate this process is. But it's not only allowing faster-growing salmon to be reared likely in these open cages that are already in our marine environment, but it's the first of the animals that are biotechnologically created in laboratories, the first of the animals that will go from laboratories to feedlot production, and that needs to worry everybody, regardless of where they are in the country, they could have these factory farms producing genetically engineered hogs, which are called frankenswine, the salmon have been called frankenfish, 
you know, there's genetically engineered goats. There's actually another 35 species of fish that are in the process of being genetically engineered. So this is just a huge change in how food is produced. And like opening up Pandora's box, once these life forms are released, they will not be recalled, and we don't know the long-term ramifications. Now, this particular genetically engineered species of salmon could never occur naturally. It contains genes from a Pacific Chinook inserted into an Atlantic salmon with additional hormones from the eel-like ocean poutfish. Is that correct? Yes, that is. The Pacific Chinook is our large king salmon out here in, in our coast. It would never meet an Atlantic salmon except that that's the preferred fish for raising in the feedlots as the Atlantic salmon, but they wouldn't mate. Mm-hmm. Then the ocean pout, like an Arctic pout, it's an eel-like fish, they've taken the gene from that because that allows this new created fish to grow year-round. So their premise is this fish will grow twice as fast. But it, you're combining genes and creating something that could mutate and raising it in mesh-sided cages, because that's the direction this is going, whether they say it now or not, these fish can escape. So that threatens the populations of wild fish, potentially on in both oceans. Mm-hmm. But certainly the Atlantic salmon is an extremely depressed population of fish. And so if these fish are raised in the Atlantic Ocean, then I think we could see the extinction of Atlantic salmon. Now, I understand that one of the risk factors with these fish is that we're told that, well, not to worry, they're contained, but even the experts who work in this industry say they're going to escape. It's just a matter of a storm or human error. The fish will escape into the wild, and then because they're bigger, they have a competitive advantage for the food supply, and that's one of the reasons why they put the native fish at risk. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, you are. Now, the company Aqua Bounty has a facility up at Prince Edward Islands up up in Canada, and that's where they have done this experimentation on these fish. Their initial plan that they've submitted to the FDA is that they're going to ship the fertile eggs down to Panama, grow them out in Panama, and ship fish back up to European or markets in the United States, maybe not in Europe. I think Europe's a little more savvy. Their consumers have a higher expectation of, labeling of GE products, but these fish could go to China, they could go to other countries, but we know that this is not going to be the limited production of these fish. The company already talks about planning to make these fish available for production near population and transportation centers. So that's why we are certain that they're going to end up in our coastal waters, and even if they are raised on land, in closed containment systems. Those are not generally really closed contained. We have experience in Washington where for 10 years, Atlantic salmon, that's the non-native fish in our region, escaped from their hatchery into a stream below this hatchery. So the concern is exactly, as you said, that these fish will get into the marine environment. The Atlantic salmon is a, little, is a more aggressive fish. They will fight the Pacific species for spawning space in the rivers, they're territorial, they'll compete for food, 
They will interfere with the reproductive cycles of the other fish because they're an alien in, in the rivers. I mean, there's a whole lot of unknowns, and the FDA did not do adequate environmental assessments. And the other agencies that could have done those, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife, and again, even the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, they were not brought into this process. And in fact, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service made a statement that they thought this was an inadequate process. And so we have just veterinarians, basically, in the FDA, who generally are fine with large animals, but they've taken over this process of approving this new biotech animal, not even as a human food, but as a new animal drug. Mm. So they're looking at this fish as if it's a drug that would be injected into an animal, not considering its health or environmental impacts. So the FDA reviews the transgenic salmon as an animal drug, not as a human food? Yes, isn't that bizarre? Well, it's a that lot like... simplified the process for, the, for this uh, biotech company. It reminds me a lot of the biotech corn that has the pesticide, the BT in every cell, and that's referred to as a pesticide, not food. Yeah. So it's, the, it's of that same genre of terminology almost. And that's why the public has to be involved in this. Now, the FDA and some surprising moves announced uh, in 2010 that they were going to be taking comments on their process of approval. Well, that just happened to be several weeks before the first Livestock Biotech Summit was held in South Dakota, and someone from the FDA was on the steering committee of this first Livestock Biotech Summit. And so, you know, we see this revolving door. We see it in NOAA with the person who heads the aquaculture project having come from a long history in private aquaculture companies. So now we're in the works here. For for the last uh, several years, the FDA has been opening up comment periods. And actually, in the first comment period that was open in 2010, more than 400,000 comments came from citizens. And there was great assessment done by various organizations that are concerned with environmental impacts or consumer safety, health risks. And so we waited and waited, wondering what was going to happen. This is a secret process. This is considered proprietary information. So the companies don't have to divulge what their process is. The FDA even accepted Aqua Bounty's own data on the lack of health risks, and it was only determined on six fish, even though there is an obvious increase that's been verified by the FDA of elevated levels of insulin-like growth factor 1, IGF-1, which is linked to cancers, to colon, prostate, and breast cancers. The allergenicity of this combination of genes in this fish could create a reaction among consumers who wouldn't even know why because the fish isn't labeled. Right. And so... This is all happening in secret. Well, now we're in another comment period. Right at the holidays around Christmas time, the FDA announced again when Congress wasn't in session, when people were traveling or involved with family issues, they announced again a 60-day comment period. 
So everybody in a flurry tried to gather comments, tried to gather their thoughts, tried to send these to the FDA. And it was because of pressure by members of Congress as well as by citizens. The FDA has extended this comment period on their their environmental assessment and on the findings of uh, non-significance of these fish. They're soliciting comments or they're open for comments until April 26th. The comments really should be in the day before. So it's this limited time where we can try to be involved in this process because basically this whole process was set up to exclude the input from citizens and and consumer uh, advocacy groups. Let me just let our listeners know that we are speaking with Ann Mosness. She is... Well, she was captain of commercial fishing boats from Copper River to Bristol Bay, Alaska. She is my best colleague and friend when it comes to understanding fisheries because she's been on the oceans herself as a fisherwoman for decades. And she was a former Food and Society Policy Fellow, as I. That's how we met. And she's also been the organizer of educational events as the Go Wild campaign advocate for wild fisheries, healthy coastal economies, and ecosystems. And I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, and you're listening to Food Sleuth Radio. Now, Anne, there are some things in this story that bother me because, you know, from a dietitian's perspective, my focus is on public health. And so it concerns me a great deal when the FDA is relying on data from Aquabounty Technologies, which is the transnational corporation that created the GE, or genetically engineered fish, they are the ones that are going to profit from it. Why are we not conducting and depending upon independent safety studies? Are we so blind to the fact that studies conducted by the same corporations that are going to profit from the sale of these fish, that their studies might be a little bit biased? I guess that's the question of this era. Are we selling out to the highest bidder all the time? Yeah. Are we giving preferential treatment to certain corporations, even global, transnational corporations? Are we destroying our small family food producers, whether family farms, small family fishing businesses? It's thousands and thousands of fishing businesses throughout our coastal region, and particularly up in Alaska, they will not be able to support themselves when cheap farm fish that are faster growing, that are heavily subsidized, not only by nature, which absorbs the sewage and the pathogens and the pollutions that flush right out of the open cages where these fish are produced, but they're subsidized because so much of the fish meal, their food pellets, Mm -hmm. are taken from coastlines of impoverished and developing nations. That's a whole ethical issue besides we're taking a third of the foundation of the ocean fish to make into fish meal for confined fish, fish farm fish and animals on land. But they're trying to develop fish meal, fish food that contains grains. Mm -hmm. There you have your heavily subsidized agribusinesses promoting genetically engineered soybeans and corn to be used for fish meal. So it's combining the worst of our farm practices agribusiness practices, with destroying what in many regions is still a sustainable wild fish cycle that these wild salmon return to the coastal rivers. They nourish a hundred and more plants and animals and birds and our forest regions. You know, once we lose our wild salmon, we really lose the integrity of the 
the coastal regions and the culture and the economy, the culture of our, our Native American and, and uh, Alaska Native fisheries, the economy of thousands of small family fishing businesses. Mm-hmm. And tell me about your life as a fisherwoman. <laughs> the accidental fisherwoman. <laughs> <laughs> I was a social worker briefly out of college, and my father, who had no sons, asked if I would come to Alaska for three weeks to help him out. It was a funny regulation that he needed one person for each 25 fathoms of net that he was using, and that would have been six people on a, a small boat, but three of us went. It was like summer camp. It was high adventure. It was just great to see the process of bringing in fish. You know, sockeye salmon are probably one of the finest proteins on the planet. They eat very low on the food chain. They they take in plankton and crustaceans. There's not a buildup of toxins. And so I enjoyed it so much that I spent another couple of years with my father, which was a great opportunity to to really be friends with my father and to know that I was supporting my sisters. We had there was no sons in the family. You know, my family depended on that income. So after another two years I fished my own boat. My father went back to another district. And I became really emerged in, in the whole lifestyle of fishing, feeling proud that I was bringing in this great food. Then I got involved with the Women's Maritime Association, became an advocate for women and safe work environments, and then just became more politically active in the whole salmon political activities of the coastal regions until I can't imagine doing anything else. And over the years, I've been fortunate to work for the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy and and several other national organizations, helping them understand the sustainability of the small-scale fisheries and understand what we will lose when we no longer have the wild salmon recycling nutrients from the oceans to the forests and the fields and the important part that these fish play in cultures and economies of our country. Mm-hmm. You know, I find it really interesting. I asked you that question because... I've recently heard several people speak about the importance of being connected to our food. And when we're disconnected, we don't appreciate it and value it. And you had an opportunity to fall in love with the occupation and with the animals that support us economically and physically and mentally. And in a way, you are using your social work training in fighting for the communities that depend on this livelihood, as well as the fish themselves, and how we are all connected in this beautiful ecosystem. So I personally want to thank you for that work, and I want to make sure that our listeners know that, yes, we have a comment period. Now is the time for all fish lovers to come to the aid of this wild salmon, and we need to send our comments into the Food and Drug Administration by April 26th. That means get get the comments in by April 25th. And is there a, a good tool for doing that? Well, there's certainly a lot of fine organizations that have petitions out, everything from AVAZ, the global organization, A-V-A-A-Z. They're close to getting a million comments right now opposing genetically engineered fish, but of course that's not going to be taken into seriously by our own federal agencies, but at the same time, uh, Food and Water Watch, Center for Food Safety, Consumers Union, Union of Concerned Scientists, I mean, wonderful national organizations have on their websites 
information and petitions. And I found, too, just by Googling FDA GE Salmon, that you can go right to the link. Now, hopefully that works for folks, either that or FDA Genetically Engineered Salmon, but I found it just with GE Salmon. And people can just say simply what Andy Kimbrell said of the Center for Food Safety, which I'm going to pull up in my notes here, because you don't have to be too technical about all this. You can, and the technical comments are great. I mean, there's even people like Dr. Ann Kapuczynski, who's an expert in this arena, and she has submitted very, very specific comments. But one of the things that stands out for me is that she said, if we don't get this process right with this first genetically engineered animal, then what in the world are we going to be doing in the future when all the other applications come in? I mean, this first process is so important. That's right. We don't want to set a precedent. No, and the head of the biotechnology or a person with the Biotechnology Industry Association, here's a quote from him. He said, for future applications out there, the sky's the limit. If you can imagine it, scientists can try to do it. Well, I find that pretty frightening because, yes, we can imagine all sorts of things that are not sane, safe, or smart to create. So for them to be getting funding and then FDA or government assistance, right? You know, when when it's our future, it's our... I mean, eating should not be a dangerous act. Right. And when we have increased allergenicity from these biotechnologically created animals, when we have, you know, risks to species of the, these transgenic animals we'll mate with. Mm-hmm. And someone in California told me what, what their initiative, their GMO labeling initiative, that they referred to that as God move over. Wow. That, this is just really creating life forms that never would occur in nature naturally. Well, and I think, too, you make a very good point. I mean, when I recommend as a dietitian we need to eat more wild-caught salmon, it's because of the high levels of omega-3 fatty acids. And that's assuming that the fish are living in the wild. They are eating the food that is naturally found in the ocean, the algae, for example. But when we feed fish soy and corn, we change the fatty acid composition of that fish. So it is no longer that healthy seafood that we think it is. And I I think that's one of the issues that consumers need to know going into this. So we want to make sure that the the salmon that we eat is sustainably caught and it is wild caught. And I also want to mention the fact that you brought up regarding labeling. This is critical that, as you mentioned, Should there be an allergic reaction, the consumer may not even know what they ate without that label on the food. So we've got several issues going on here. We want our food to be labeled, if it is indeed genetically engineered. We don't want to open this Pandora's box, as you so eloquently stated, that we don't want to set a precedent for future genetically engineered foods to be released into our ecosystem without knowing full well the consequences and unintended consequences that we haven't even considered. Yeah, this is really, this process right now, these next month and a half, next few weeks, this is critical to the future of of the health of, of our families, our children, people we love. Because even with salmon in the past, when the artificial petrochemical-based colorants, astaxanthin and canthaxanthin, 
which are used to make the color of the salmon more appealing, when chemically sensitive people to those colorants would eat salmon and have allergic-type reactions, they would swear off all wild pink fish, all wild salmon, too. And so that's a real loss because there's, I don't believe the body creates its own uh, omega-3, the long chain omega-3. Is that correct? Or you would know that. Well, but we take it in. Right. Mm-hmm. And so these farmed fish, the more grains and crops they get into their bodies, it would be like eating a bag of Doritos, just the exact opposite of, of the positive effects. But knowing that we don't have much time, I found the quote by uh, Andy Andrew Kimbrell Great. of the Center for Food Safety, because this is simply what consumers could write in. The GE salmon has no socially redeeming value. It's bad for the consumer, bad for the salmon industry, and bad for the environment. FDA's decision is premature and misguided. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, now, just to let our listeners know one more time, they can Google FDA plus genetically engineered salmon, and there is a space. Is it easy to access with regard to making the comment? It seems so. And at one place it will ask if you're an organization and you just write in citizen. Uh, there's lots of information that's easily found on the Center for Food Safety website, and yes. that's simply ge-fish.org. Yes, and I've got Andrew Kimbrell's four-page report right in front of me here, Genetically Engineered Salmon, The Next Generation of Industrial Aquaculture, and there's a food safety review. So if consumers want to learn more and fold some of those comments into their own comments, and then Food and Water Watch, which you mentioned, is also another excellent site. Uh, and simply Google Food and Water Watch or f- go to foodandwaterwatch.org. There's Frankenfish on your plate. Again, talking about what is GE salmon, what are some of the negative consequences that we need to be aware of. And again, that deadline, get those comments in before April 25th. Every comment counts. I would also recommend contacting senators and representatives. You too, Anne? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Forty of our elected officials in the Congress had already signed a letter you know, in 2010 saying that they opposed this process that was being rushed through the FDA. And here on the West Coast, some of our elected officials are taking this very seriously, our our senators and uh, representatives from Alaska, Washington, and Oregon. But in the past, they wrote a letter to Margaret Hamburg, commissioner of the FDA, and they urged the FDA to address the serious flaws in its approval process and incorporate more public input and scientific data. And they argued that GE Fish would put wild fish in jeopardy and recklessly and needlessly endanger human health. Those are strong statements by elected officials, and more need to look into this because with 35 other species of fish being genetically engineered, with livestock being genetically engineered, I mean, if we think just a salmon could endanger human health, we have no idea what's going to come in the future, and we need to have a much more open process, not this secret proprietary process that leads to companies being able to patent life forms. And And we're going to have to end our conversation. Our time is up. 
but you've given us some great websites to learn more. And I want to thank Ann Mosness again, Captain of Commercial Fishing Boats from Copper River to Bristol Bay, Alaska, former Food and Society Policy Fellow and Advocate for Wild Fisheries, Healthy Coastal Economies, and Ecosystems. In closing, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to thank Ann for being my guest. And I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri at KOPN Studios by Dan Hemmelgarn. Thank you, Ann. Thank you, Melinda. Thank you, Melinda.